welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. I think we should start describing what the show is to give people's expectations and for any new listeners, uh, because I always forget to do that. This is the show where we go about 30 to 45 minutes, probably closer to 45 minutes, trying to go over the basics of an individual company. We're going to have Ryan start out with the history and the background of what the business does. Ian and I are going to hit um, what valuation, balance sheets, uh, management and ownership, industry. And then we're going to talk more about our opinions on the company. So hopefully get the basics. Typically, when we do one of these, this is the first time we're actually reading about the company or maybe one of the first or second times. So we're not an expert on the company right now, but we're going to hopefully learn along with people. So if you're an expert on the company we talk about, please, we may get some things wrong. We're just trying to learn with you. And today, the company we're talking about is WISE. I'll also mention the goal of this is to turn over rocks. It's to look at businesses, uh, see whether or not you want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, It does not imply that we're going to be super bullish on the company. We may be, uh, and it might be sort of the initial research process for a company we end up liking down the road, but uh, it is not, this is not a pitch. Um, Exactly. Exactly. We save that for the Thursday episodes. Some of those are more pitch-like if you like that style. Um, We try to mix it up with both those once a week. But we have Ian Gray on the show, as always, on every other Tuesday. Ian, we're talking wise today. Have you ever have you ever researched this company before or heard of it? I'd heard of it before and passing kind of as looking into some uh, financial technology companies, but never had uh, dug deep or done any sort of research on it. All right. And they IPO'd or actually, no, they did direct listing. Uh, they're one of those uh, companies uh, this summer. So we have a you know a couple, we have an annual report, the prospectus, and then they recently on November 30th just released their first half results. They're a English company, or I guess United Kingdom. So it's they're gonna have some different, and we had to convert from the pound uh, and they don't have the typical SEC type results that are all boilerplate that we're used to in the United States. And we're gonna get into that, but first let's talk about our presenting sponsor on the Tuesday episode, Potential Multibaggers. The aim of the potential multi-bagger service is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. They pick high growth stocks to hold them for a long period of time. That's more of a decade plus time horizon. Of course, they have to continue performing to hold them. And Chris, the man behind potential multi-baggers calls this his quote, buy and verify. And it, that's just to highlight that this is a service that is not picking stocks, trying to get your subscription money and then go away. He's working along with you, with this team, talking about all the picks, saying, all right, maybe this one we're going to take out. Maybe this one is a great time to buy right now. And their track record is fantastic. They're above their benchmark of 26%. And they hopefully are trying to do that over a decade. But so far, I think for four or five years now, it's north of 26%, which is quite impressive. So if you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value, Google it, or go to at From Value on Twitter. 
If you need any help with that, please message us. We can help you get in touch. All right, Ryan, you want to talk about seven investing and introduce wise. Yeah. Right before we get into wise, uh, seven investing, we have a special holiday promo code out. It's chit chat. You get $50 off the annual subscription. So if you're thinking about getting it for 2021, think about renewing, go ahead, use our code. We love our partners over at seven investing and they actually just dropped recent picks the day we're recording this. So I, have not, I haven't read them yet. So I kind of look forward to that, but yeah, go ahead, check it out. Um, um, if you, and if you like, if you're younger, do you like discord? Um, I'm not, I'm sure not, you know, some people do, they have a community over there. So that's kind of where you like to communicate with people. It's perfect for their subscribers. They, that's where they love to communicate with people, talk, help you learn about investing. All right, let's get into WISE. So WISE's mission is, they say, we are creating money without borders, instant, convenient, transparent, and eventually free. Basically, WISE is a multi-currency account where users can hold, receive, send, or spend money. And uh, they give a lot of context about why they exist um, throughout all their documents. So I'm going to kind of spend some time on that. So historically, the banking industry um, I guess th this is kind of how currency transfers have gone previously. So the banking industry would send money through a complex system of correspondent banks, and it would actually send the money. And so since they're sending that money, there were fees um, pretty much along all the way with transactions um, that were constantly added, and it took a lot of time to execute those transactions. And so Additionally, or some banks eventually uh, evolved to saying that they don't have any fees and they ended up applying what you'll see is Wise's current business model, but they would mark up their own currency exchange rate. So there wouldn't be an actual transaction fee, but then they do a markup on the exchange rate so they'd make margin that way. And they weren't very transparent about it. weren't very transparent about it. Um, and so the way it works for Wise is that Wise has bank accounts set up all over the world in different countries. So if you want to transfer money, uh, if you want to transfer money to another country and in another currency, let's say U.S. dollar to pounds, uh, you pay in your U.S. dollar to Wise's U.S. account. Then Wise's U.K. account sends pounds to the recipient. Uh, the money is never actually sent anywhere though. So that's kind of the important part. And they show you or they show users the exchange rate and transaction fees beforehand. So there is total transparency there and they give you basically what your fee is going to be. So that's something that I think a lot of users enjoy. And they are one of the cheapest solutions other than MoneyGram. Um, it's eight times cheaper than traditional banks, six times cheaper than PayPal. Um, and I think MoneyGram is basically it's only cheaper for small transactions. I believe WISE is the cheapest for large transactions. Yeah, it depends uh, on what. And MoneyGram, if anyone doesn't know, is a legacy provider that's trying to transition, sort of compete with WISE. But as we'll get into later, WISE and MoneyGram and other, say, like Western Union type customers are, are really different target markets here. Yeah. And so some there's actually really interesting history to the company. So in 2011, Tavet Henricus, I might be saying that wrong, and Christo Carmen started WISE. Initially, the idea was meant to just simply solve a pain point for both of them that they were facing. And it's it actually ended up totally evolving into the business that it is today. But so both Christo and Tavet were from Estonia and they worked in London. Uh, Tavet worked for Skype and Christo worked for Deloitte. But despite both- Deloitte. It's Deloitte. Is it Deloitte? Yeah, yes. De Deloitte. There you uh, go. Uh, despite both them working in London, Tavet got paid in euros while Christo was paid in pounds. However, Christo had a mortgage in Estonia, so he had to pay that. And in order to pay it, he would have to convert it to euros. Or at the time, it was like 
Estonian krone, um, but it, let's just use euros for this example. Um, and the process took a lot of fees and banks took a hefty chunk on it. So it was really hard for Christo to basically pay it. And he was obviously losing a lot of money in the process. So they decided to find a workaround. Every month, Tavet would put his euros, which was, like I said, Estonian krone, into Christo's Estonian bank account. And in exchange, Christo would replace the amount in Tavet's UK account with the appropriate amount of pounds. So they were basically just having their own separate accounts and doing it for each other. Um, and they wanted to help their friends with this process as well. So they built a website. And after crowdsourcing names from their friend group, they came up with TransferWise. Since then, so that is still the core technology, but or the core idea. But since then, it has evolved into a more complete international account uh, with additional features, which we'll talk about. And they went public via a direct listing in July, which I said is a green flag because we are a direct listing podcast. We prefer <laughs> that over IPOs and SPACs. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, direct listing, it's not perfect, but it's probably better than IPOs and SPACs most of the time, especially for a company that's profitable. Likewise, that doesn't really need to raise the money. Um, but I'll go into the industry landscape and competition. This is the same industry as Remitly, which is a show we just did the other week. Um, I'd listen to that one for more of an overview on this industry too. And you want to listen to the interview we did with Luis Sanchez back in August. Uh, I think it was August, maybe September on MoneyGram. So you can get a good overview of all the businesses that are competing here. $24 trillion in cross-border payment volume is gone or sent sent each year. It's not gone, sent each year across the globe. So that's a huge quote, you know, TAM here, but given Wise's low cost option, uh, which their take rate is down to last quarter or the first half of this year for their fiscal year, I believe it was 0.62%. So really off of that, there's likely no more than a hundred billion dollar opportunity here, which is still high, uh, but you know, not $24 trillion. However, in the letter to shareholders, um, I think it was either the recent blog post or the one around the direct listing. The founder that is also the CEO now said that eventually they want to make cross-border payments free. So eventually the business model is going to change. I don't really know what it's going to be, but that's what they said. Actually, a funny note on the conference call, I was reading the transcript. Uh, they were talking about the fee compression because, you know, analysts probably, they asked like three questions on that. You know, the analysts has got to be the thing they ask every time. And he said, well, what do you think the floor on this is? And then the guy, the founder goes, one word, he just goes zero. And then it's like, all right, next question. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. But yeah, that's all I have for that. Competitors, Remitly, Zoom, uh, not Zoom video, but Zoom spelled X-O-O-M. And that's also a part of PayPal. So PayPal's a competitor. They don't like PayPal. They really like to hate on them, uh, especially in all, and almost every conference call they do. I don't like PayPal either. We actually, anecdotally, we were going to use PayPal. Uh, I guess that relates to the advertiser we have. Uh, Chris right. is not in the United States. Uh, so we were like, we're going to send money. We actually use Wise. It's the best solution we could find. And it was the cheapest. So yeah, good PayPal sucked. It was a pain, pain in the butt to set up an account. Maybe yeah. I'm just not good at technology. but Or whatever. I mean, either way, Wise was a lot easier, which I think was a nice positive. And that's kind of something how we found the company in the first place. Um, Western Union is also a competitor. Revolut is one uh, that we found out about that's more crypto based. I don't know much about them, but they're a competitor to watch out for as well. And then compared to Remitly, if you're kind of confused, because Remitly is the other digital upstart that's trying to take over the industry, you know what MoneyGram and Western Union are kind of but WISE seems to lean more wealthy people and then more European. So that's the difference, but they're going after similar markets and they also have some similar 
growth paths, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in future growth opportunities. But Ian, you want to talk management and ownership more? Yep. So Crystal Carmen is the co-founder and CEO, and he owns about 19% of the company. As Ryan was mentioning, he, he did work in consulting prior to founding wise. And so that's uh, his background. Uh, Tavet Henricus is the other co-founder and executive chairman. I'm not sure if I said that name right, actually, but um, he's the he's the executive chairman. And prior to Wise, he was Skype's director of strategy. And according to one source I found, he was actually their first ever employee at Skype. And so um, I think <laughs> that was fairly lucrative for him. And so now he's become a little bit of an angel investor um, and done some other things as well. And he owns about 9% of the company. So between the two of them, they own somewhere in the neighborhood of 28% of the company. So very high insider ownership with two um, major insiders. I know for some people, that's a, that's a big positive. For some people, they're a little bit worried about that. They also have a dual uh, share class structure. And so um, from what I was reading, and I didn't dive into this enough actually, but from what I was reading, it's um, temporary. And so initially they can maintain control of the company, but that over years, those, um, those share classes phase out. That's something to do a little more research on. Um, just forgot to take another look at that actually, but then go ahead, Brian. I was going to, I was going to mention that I do think I saw a lockup period. I, uh, I may have uh, interrupted you there, but uh, I thought there was a lockup period on it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We're, we're basically would be past that. So either way, I don't think it's relevant anymore. Is it? Yeah, we're pretty close. It was this summer, so it's about to be here. I wouldn't worry about it too much longer. It's not like it just happened. Yeah. yeah, from what I was reading, there there wasn't a lockup period, and that these these um, direct listings tend not to. But um, it's it's something I would be something to double check on because what I was going to mention is whether it has a lockup period or not. As of the last filing, which was in uh, September September first, so quite a while ago, VC ownership was still about twenty six percent. Um, and Dreesen Horowitz owns about 9%. And those the, the VC money tends to sell out. They don't generally hold on to these companies long-term. So um, you should be aware of that if you're owning that there could be some downward pressure on the stock as some of the VCs lock in their returns. Definitely. Yeah. The VC ownership is the most important one to look out for there. And overall though, management, I'm sure we'll talk about this later. I mean, very, very impressed. I don't know. They, they seem frank. They're not like Peloton's founder, who seems to have the audacious things that may not make sense sometimes. Some other founders have that as well. The, I don't know. Just very impressive. Um, maybe it's because of the European ones, they're always way more impressive because uh, the US ones seem just to be crazy and uh, have no discipline. But I'll move into valuation. Uh, market cap is about $9.85 billion. This is all going to be in the US dollars, transferred over just using the current rate. So make sure to do that yourself. Um, they're really reporting in pounds. So just do those transfers on your own. Uh, ticker is WISE, W-I-S-E. I'm gonna give a couple different price to sales here. Price to sales is 14.4 if you annualize first half 2022 numbers and their fiscal year starts in April. So we're about in about to close out their third quarter, but they just reported first half numbers, which ended in September. So I think that number gives about the current price to sales multiple, although they may have some seasonality. So again, I would look at some trailing 12 month stuff if you can, but right now that it's, it's really hard to do that because they don't have quarterly reports and they only have two filings out. Um, but price to sales is about 17.5 based on their full year 2021 numbers. And that ended in March of this year. Again, that's a bit far back and they don't give out any forward guidance except for kind of a range for revenue growth. So 
it's still expensive. And then price to gross profit is about 28 based on fiscal year 2021 numbers. But that should come down rather quickly as we get the full year report next, uh, probably late spring, early summer. And yeah, so the price goes profit of 28 seems high, but it's not as high probably as it actually is uh, right now because that's based on something that's nine months old. And then if you look at their share count, they have about a billion shares outstanding. So their actual price is, is pretty low. I think it's below 10. And they have about 30 million shares that they just allocated for employee stock options. So there's going to be some dilution. That's part of how they do it. It didn't look like it was crazy amounts. There's no Palantir type levels of double digit dilution, but I would assume it's looking at the numbers. It's hard to tell, but it seems maybe about one to 3% uh, dilution coming. All right, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah. And as we've alluded to, they just reported their results for the first half of the year on November 30th. So quite recent. Um, And in the second quarter, they reported 3.9 million total customers that completed at least one transaction. That's how they measure it. And that's up 23% year over year. Uh, 95% of those customers are individuals versus 5% that are businesses. Um, And then the transaction volume per customer grew by 10% in the second quarter as well um, on an annual basis. And then they had, uh, I said, 290 million in revenue for the first half, but that was euros, and I didn't, I didn't realize mean, that they were. You mean pounds? Well, I initially converted it to euros and not pounds, so I did it again. They did about 340 million dollars U.S. dollars in the first half revenue. That's up 33 percent year over year. Um, and then the gross margin was 68%. That's up from 62% the year prior. They had $69 million in adjusted EBITDA. Um, and I believe I, I may have just taken the, the pounds number. Uh, let me let me double check really quick. Yeah. No, sorry. They're probably doing about, you know what? I'm going to do a generalization here. I think they're probably doing about 75 million US dollars in adjusted EBITDA. Either way, the percentages shake out to be about... Uh, 25%, I think, adjusted EBITDA margins. They actually convert a lot of their adjusted EBITDA to free cash flow. So free cash flow margins were 23%. Um, also, something that they highlighted that I thought was interesting was that they were able to reduce their average transaction prices for customers by seven basis points. So and, went, and raise gross margin, which that was a nice sign to see. Yeah, yeah. That was interesting. They went from 0.69% on an average transaction fee to 0.62%. So they are really starting that that's an effort that they're really trying to talk about is trying to lower that transaction fees uh, and really make it as frictionless as possible. Yeah. And just to confirm on those conversions, did you have 340 million USD for first half of the year? Uh, for yeah. Revenue for revenue? 350. Uh, 340, 340. Yeah, yeah right. 340. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's that's correct then. I just did the, the to check it. All right. So I think the numbers are good. Um, all right. Ian, do you want to hit balance sheet? Yep. So these balance sheet numbers are in uh, British pounds. So, but so they're a little bit higher in US dollars, but they've got over $4 billion in cash um, or 4 billion British pounds in cash, about a hundred million British pounds in debt. So a very significant net cash position, almost um, like 3.9 billion basically in, in net cash. So very well capitalized. They don't have the same balance sheet items as remitly. And if you remember that episode, we talked a little bit about some like funds in transit type accounts that Remitly has. And now I'm kind of curious, it's it's due to one of two things, um, either different regulations under IFRS where they just report different line items, which I see occasionally, or there may be something different about the way that um, WISE transfers money than Remitly does, where they're the way that they're holding it. So um, that's something to 
to maybe take a look at, but it shouldn't be a, there's no red flags on this balance sheet, at least from my perspective, they've got a lot of cash, little debt, and um, should have plenty of, plenty of runway to keep growing the business. Yeah. I think they don't break it out, but in the footnotes, it does break out. I believe it. Uh, they probably do it a different way. Uh, but I do believe they have a lot of this cash that is uh, like not necessarily theirs. It's kind of like a, res- you know what I mean? Like a restricted crash due to customers or stuff like that. But that does highlight the advantages of scale for these type of businesses, because you have to hold the currencies. Um, you have to have a sort a certain, I guess, it allows lack of you a better to- word, a liquidity position in all the currencies yeah. to make sure all the regulatory stuff gets hit. And it allows you to move money faster. And it allows you to move money faster. So that type of cash position, it's not necessarily going to be available to shareholders, I would think, but it is something to watch out for to see kind of what their financial strength is. Sort of like a bank, but uh, a little bit different. All right, let's hit the ad break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in. We're going to hit anecdotal evidence next, but Ryan, you have to uh, clarify something that we checked. Yeah, we did check this during the break. There is a lockup, and I believe the 180 days will... It might... it might come right on the day that you're listening, actually. I think it's right around then. So uh, if you're interested in the stock, maybe just wait a few weeks just to see how it plays out. Um, and for those that, people that don't know what a lockup is, I guess we should maybe explain that. It's just insiders are able to sell um, after that expiration date. Um, and so sometimes that can unlock a large supply of shares. Um, and you can see, I'd say on average, you can see prices decline after that lockup, but it it really varies. So maybe just wait a little bit um, but if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Anecdotal evidence in, what are your thoughts here? You got anything? Don't really have any anecdotal evidence with Wise. All right. Ryan? Yeah, I guess I have two. I, first of all, I made a, an individual account this morning just to see how easy it was to sign up. And it was very intuitive. Um, it was really, really easy. Um, and then the other anecdotal evidence I have, we alluded to earlier in the show, which is one of our sponsors pays us using them. Um, 
And I think it was because it was the cheapest solution. And well, we were trying to do PayPal first, but you know, I we did struggle. We, we, we did say let's 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 try Wise. I heard about them, you know, and the fees yeah. are low, so it's great. Yeah, and that that was a pretty seamless, enjoyable experience. So anecdotal evidence positive. Yep, and uh, app seems good to me. I have it. I think I'm going to try out the debit card. They usually send those for free, so I think you have to pay for it. Oh, you do. Like really? nine bucks. Yeah. Nine bucks. Okay. So. Well, it's easy. Then, uh, uh, well, okay. Nine bucks about, but uh, I wonder what the fees on the debit card are. Cause they say it's low, but you never know. Like with, you know, most debit cards, the user doesn't have to pay anything, but I wonder if the users have to pay things, uh, especially with these foreign currency type deals, but it seems like a great option. No one can really compete with that except remitly maybe, or any of the other people that have these remittance stuff set up. Yeah. Well, I mean, because like Cash App can't. This uh, makes sense can't. if you're spending. I think the debit card makes a lot of sense if you're spending a lot of time in a different country. Um, and so or, there's a good chunk of people that do. Yeah. So uh, that seems like a good solution. And they have, they've already gotten a lot of signups, which I think you're about to mention. Um, yeah, or a lot yeah. of they've issued yeah, a lot of okay. debit cards. Yeah. I'll talk about it more in the future growth opportunities. I wanted to make sure to have the numbers around all that. But yeah, let's move to future growth opportunities in what, what do you got? If I'm going to touch on Wise Business, so they market this on their site as, quote, the only business account you need to go global, uh, close quote. And they kind of, they say, hey, we've got lower fees. You don't need to open bank accounts in multiple countries. You just have to have our account and we'll be able to, we'll help you with low fees, transfer money around, get the right currencies that you need and um, make sure everyone has uh, basically the right currency in the business. And it looks like they're trying to add some ancillary services to that as well. Um, they've, they were talking about how they're allowing companies to invoice and receive payments um, very quickly. And they say that 50% of payments arrive in less than one hour. Uh, this, this line of business seems particularly well suited towards software businesses and startups. And I think it's probably becoming increasingly important for startups and uh, really any business in the world to be able to have a global payment system where you can accept money and, and uh, deal in multiple currencies in multiple countries. And, and wise business seems to be a, a great way to do that. Yeah. The rise of Fiverr, I think could be a benefit to this as well. You have people trying to do work remotely around the globe. Uh, I think that could be a huge tailwind for this. Um, but Ryan, what do you got? For me, it's the API service. I mean, there are a few different um, uh, growth opportunities that I think are feasible as with any fintech, there's obviously a lot of growth opportunities um, and Brett's going to touch on those, but I liked the API service. And we also talked about this with Remitly who had it's one as well. Almost the same thing, right? I, I think. think it's the same. Um, Wise said that more than a dozen banks and enterprises already use this service. And so enterprises, I believe kind of gets either special treatment for banks or they have a solution in house. And it makes sense for them to kind of just use, sell this API essentially um, to uh, enterprises, banks, stuff like that. And I like to think about it almost as a hedge. So instead of it kind of eliminates the challenge of needing to replace the banks, but instead you can enable the banks, um, which is doesn't seem to be as tall of a task for them. I am curious how it differs from Mitley's offering and sort of what options the banks or the enterprises have. Or who's paying, like what's the cost? Kind of yeah, thing. because if there's sort of if it's them and remitly that are sort of the only entrance to the market, and there's a lot of enterprises that can adopt this API, this could be a huge growth opportunity for them. Yeah, uh, 
if it's commoditized, I really don't know. So that's something I have to look at. Um, yeah, I tweeted something out about Wiser remittly before the show, and people said that this sort of thing could become a commodity. However, if it's just two players, I don't know how easy it is to copy. And usually, it's there are the legal predict. hurdles too. Yeah, there's the legal stuff. That's why the banks don't do. Or well, they have the banks can do it, but they don't have the infrastructure. It's all they have a bunch of tech they're, debt. Tech they're debt, often if you want to say often domestic too. Yeah, and. Like usually if there's two players, the market gets pretty rational. It's hard to predict certain industries are different, but I would, you know, I, I don't know. Like Twilio has some competitors. Um, that stuff's that not that hard to build, but usually the comprehensive offering can really make it so you have some pricing power, but who knows? It's really early days on that one. Um, I'll hit my future growth opportunity and that is just expanding the WISE account, which is their bank account like thing with the debit card and all the other stuff to more than just transfer fees because over time they said they want to bring transfer fees basically to zero. Um, this is going to be like a bank like account. You can hold through an app. Think of it very similarly as cash app Venmo or your bank account that you can get really is just through your app. Now you can hold money in 56 different currencies in the wise account app. And then as of the IPO prospectus, there are 1.6 million debit cards issued and $5.5 billion in US dollars held in accounts. I think that's a pretty impressive number. I mean, 1.6 million debit card issued. That's, I think that there's a lot of chances. I don't know what type of fees they can earn. That's close to 50% of quarterly users. Yeah. Uh, that's really, yeah, it's really impressive penetration rate with the debit card. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for the wise account. If you can make someone an international bank account, I mean, for example, uh, I'm going to work remotely in 2022 for a bit and I'm a heavy cash app user for basically just my spending and stuff like that. But I'm not able to use that internationally. So I'm going to have to use something like wise account or something else. So that kind of shows that regulatory barrier to entry on that, which, you know, they have a lot of room to run with that stuff, but let's move to highlights and lowlights. Um, Ian, well, what do you think here? The highlights for me start with just being clearly good for consumers. I always like businesses that it is very evident that this has made the world a better place for consumers and for transferring money around the globe. Um, Wise has been just a very positive force in that. I think a couple other highlights for me, strong free cash flow margins, you know, at uh, 23%, I think is what Ryan quoted, just it's, it's generating cash, right? It's a, it's a business that's good for consumers and generating cash. And so that's exciting. And then also the strong balance sheet that I mentioned in that section. And just to clarify, um, I took another, took another look at the balance sheet and um, you guys were correct that there is some, uh, they do break out some cash and transit accounts in some different places. And so after taking those into account, there's about um, 4 billion pounds in uh, total cash and cash equivalents. And they've got about, about 180 in cash and transit accounts. And so I'm um, still very, very strong. So like I said, almost 4 billion in, in cash that is theirs to use. Um, so that, sh that should be um, very bullish for the company going forward. So a strong balance sheet, but some low lights for me, I think the large VC ownership is not a low light because that like in the sense that the business did something wrong, but it's a low light in the sense that there probably will be some downward pressure on this stock that there's just going to be a, a reshuffling of the the of who the shareholders are over the next six months to a year, um, and they're new to the public markets. And so, 
it's kind of yet to be seen as I think we've all talked about the, the management team seems pretty good and, uh, and, and solid, but once you become a public company, some of those things change. So it's something to watch for the next, uh, next couple of months. All right, Ryan highlights for me. This is something I thought about a lot and it was kind of like the Google effect early on because people were like, how much ad dollars could they have? There isn't that much. And, and they got a premium valuation and people said like, there isn't that many ad dollars on newspaper now or whatever. And I, so I think right now they state that they account for approximately two and a half percent of global transfer volume. But I think the market will expand as fees decrease because people will know they'll be cognizant of the fact that it's not going to be intensive or expensive, sorry, uh, to, to transfer money. And so I think they can, car- they can kind of carve out industry growth on their own. So I think they can kind of expand the pie. And then also I, I thought the 97% cash flow conversion was great. Um, low lights for me though is that this is a network effect business. Um, especially I guess on the individuals and on the business side, um, which can kind of be a double-edged sword. So <clears throat> like that example that we mentioned, where if I'm a business and I want to pay a supplier through wise, the other side needs a wise account. Um, that is a good thing. Um, that can be a good thing, but at the same time, it's hard to replace PayPal because that's, that's part of what makes PayPal so sticky is it has to be an agreement between two sides. Fortunately, uh, wise is very intuitive to set up an account. I think I did it in literally 10 seconds. Um, and so there might be less friction there, but it, it might just be a little more resistance from the business side. Um, for wise when they try to enter that market or as they're entering it. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll hit my highlights management's candor and their, like their goals that they outlined seem very nice. Um, it just that North star of reducing fees and then expanding the market just seems so easy to do and not really anyone else can compete with them right now or very few, I should say there's the regulatory barrier to entry. There's the high switching costs, I think, here. I don't think the network effect is there, but I think it's a little smaller than the some of the other remittance companies because this is more of an international bank account for people, although the network effect, I think, is still fairly strong. There's minimal competition. There's great unit economics. And then they're the number one name in their niche of this space. And there's only four or five total competitors. So in their you know wealthier niche, they're definitely the number one name. Um, Lowlights. There's the crypto and central bank tail risk that everyone likes to bring up. I don't know what the likelihood of that, but we'll see. Uh, good amount of shareholder dilution that should be coming. There, you know, that's just going to be a headwind. And then there are the risks on currency fluctuations and political stuff that seems to be impossible to predict as a shareholder. So that's kind of the risk where you you have a hard, you know, that stuff's unpredictable. Um, it could happen, and if stuff like that happens, it'll definitely affect wise. Um, all right, let's move on to bull case, bear case. Ian, what do you think has to go right for Wise to be a good investment from here? I think if you're investing in Wise, the 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 major bull case is that it's a bet on continued growth of international markets and a growing world economy that's becoming more and more interconnected. Uh, I think, as I mentioned in the future growth opportunity, I think that the bull case for Wise is that it becomes essential for every business in the world to do cross-border transactions. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that every single day. And Wise seems um, like it's in prime position to take advantage of that. Yeah, it seems that there are like a lot of tailwinds behind Wise. I think uh, this idea that 
doing business internationally is pretty frictionless now. Um, that, that's something that definitely benefits them. Uh, we're a good and example of that. They're enabling it. Yeah. And so um, I think there's also just a lot of low-hanging fruit within business accounts. So if they can capture those and the network effect starts helping them, uh, I could easily see this business growing its uh, top line at double digits rates and it already has good cash flow margins. Um, I guess uh, I'd like to see them get to a million businesses. I think that's about a 4X from here. Uh, seems possible. Enterprises don't really tend to adopt this stuff, if I remember correctly, because a lot of it, I believe, is either in-house or special treatment. So it's really small and medium-sized businesses. Um, but yeah. it, 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 I think they they can benefit the way PayPal has if they're able to get to sort of a critical mass of business users. Yep. And they can take advantage of PayPal's need to keep fees high. Like yeah. Wise has an advantage versus them. I, you know, I would be a little worried about... Um, I don't know if I was a PayPal shirt, I don't know how much of their business is competing with wise, but it seems like if their fees are high, that's going to compress over time. And wise really has the advantage because they're already the lowest fees. Um, my bull case is given that, you know, the gross margin got up to 68%. You could probably see it go a little bit higher. Uh, last report, you mostly have fixed operating expenses. I think the path to like 25%, 30% free cash flow margin or earnings margin seems very doable. They're already at 24%. I don't know if that's a one-time blip though. That hasn't happened before. Um, at about $2 billion in sales, which is around 4X the size of here, maybe a bit less if we're analyzing the first half numbers. That is about 600 million in free cash flow or earnings. So, you know, compared to a market cap close to $10 billion, that's not crazy, but it's not also that cheap. So really, if you want good returns here, I think you need to probably expect a 10X in revenue over the next decade. Now, you might say 10X in revenue, that's high, but if they can durably grow at 20%, 20, 30% for 10 years, which is a tall task, but that, that's how they'll do it. Um, they're not gonna be one that goes viral and starts growing at 100% just because of the regulatory stuff. They're not in nearly as many countries as they could be. Um, there's just, this is not something I don't know. Am I getting this wrong where this is not a business that can grow rapidly? It's just going to have to be a durable grower. Yeah. Um, Cause I think there's too many regulatory hurdles. Yeah, exactly. And people don't switch this type of stuff very quickly. Yes. It's kind of a big thing to switch over. Um, all right. Bear case. You know, what could go wrong here? I think the bear case for me is competition. And I'm going to talk about two sides of the same competition coin. So the first side would be radical innovation changes the nature of money flow and cross-border transactions that and cross-border transfers. And that there's just something new, whether it's crypto or some new innovation that we don't know that takes that core business down to zero. And I think there's already the management team is expecting that to some extent. Um, but, you know, I, and I think Ryan's going to get into that too. The other, the flip side of that coin is that if there's no innovation, I think competition could still be a problem that as the legacy players start to catch up and MoneyGram and Western Union and even PayPal start to have more competitive offerings, that Wise's growth just slows because um, they run into uh, some, her some uh, there's other options on the market and they're not clearly the best option anymore in this uh, bear case scenario. And so if that, if that were to happen, I think it, it hits some of those growth targets and they're not able to grow at 20, 30% as you were describing. Brad. Yeah, that makes sense. Ryan, what do you got? Bear case for me is that there's this sort of uh, race to zero transaction fees kind of across the industry, uh, which 
Well, I, I, think, man, I think management would say that's their bull case. They're going to be the most com- competitively positioned there. Yeah, but if, if it happens faster than they expect, they might not have enough users and ways to generate revenue from those users' alternative ways to warrant the price currently. Because, they, I mean, they, if they go to zero transaction fees, which is the goal, that's awesome. That's great for society. Um, they've got to get revenue somehow. And I think they can. I think they can earn interest on account balances. Um, I, I think debit card transactions is another way that'll uh, be good for them. But if that is that enough to keep, uh, to warrant the current valuation, it's kind of hard to say. If they get to a, uh, a huge amount of users, then yeah, that makes sense. And that's why they're lowering the fees gradually as you're seeing. Uh, but if that happens faster and it's not them that are sort of the perpetrators of it, they're not the ones trying to lower the fees, but they're doing it because the industry has done it. Um, then that's kind of a problem. It feels a bit, and we talked about this on the remitly, it feels a bit like stock commissions, like equity commissions in some sense, where you used to have like Robinhood was the one that pushed to zero. Why is this Robinhood in this sense? Yeah, to some extent. And I think Wise has a better chance of getting revenue in alternative ways than Robinhood does. Well, that's true. Um, And if I could throw something out there, and this is probably a little bit controversial, but I would say that that did have ramifications. And I don't know that Robinhood was necessarily the big winner of it going to zero commissions. That I think, um, you know, Schwab was very well positioned and even made the acquisition of, um, TD. was it TD? Yeah, TD Ameritrade. And that Schwab was actually in a great position to capitalize on that. They weren't as reliant as some of the other online brokers because of um, the other ancillary products they had, that they weren't as reliant on uh, commissions. And so I wonder if something similar happens here, that there's some businesses that also have some ancillary, maybe it's PayPal, maybe whoever, that if this truly goes to zero, that someone else might be better positioned to take advantage of that than, than wise. Yeah. That's interesting. I, it's hard. It's different though, because it's not like a choice. It just costs a lot for a lot of companies to do this. The banks yeah. can't really charge as much as wise or as little. Yeah. I think, me. yeah, it might not, yeah, it might not be a choice uh, for most of these companies. Which is why Wise, I, I which think Wise is in great position. It's yeah, kind of just yeah. the worst case scenario is that sure. happens or slower adoption than I guess I'm thinking would occur. But it seems so practical. Like the use case seems so practical. Next time I go to any other country and I need money, like I'm just going to get the Wise debit card. Why would you use the bank stuff? It's awful. I tried to transfer money one time when I was in Mexico and it was like, a, it was, I needed like $20 in cash and the charge was 20 bucks. Yeah. Like I'm not paying a hundred percent transaction fees. Yeah. I mean, the bank stuff's awful two to five days. I mean, almost all of wise is instant now, which is fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, we're talking bear case and this is turning into the bull case. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll talk mine. It's a good I'll, sign. I'll have uh, the only one I have is valuation. I think all the low lights I presented that we've been talking about are really low probability. Um, they could happen that blockchain stuff, stable coins, but I read this and I look at the uh, the stuff about like the gas fees people have to pay on Ethereum. Um, I may not have the terms correct there. Um, that is so much higher than what Wise offers. And you kind of look at that and you're like, okay, well, what's the real threat there? Maybe there's some innovation. There's a ton of money or not maybe money, but there's a ton of people going after that. 
uh, you know, that could happen. But okay. I think really the valuation is the big concern here. And to the people that are rolling their eyes right now, uh, we, we've gotten a lot of slack for this lately. Is that we love the business. It's wonderful. We say a lot of good things about it. And then at the end, we say like, it's, it's a premium valuation. Uh, one of our listeners uh, who is Max, a really loyal, loyal listener, Max Massetti, he did work on this and he went through the time-weighted return of all the companies and the not-so-deep dives that we've done in 2021. He said the total portfolio of all those companies, this isn't companies that we own, but it's companies we've looked at and we've, in general, said the valuation is high, is down 13% year to date. So being disciplined, that is that is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna, yeah. I mean, but with that said, let's go to more or less interested. Ian, what do you have? I'd say I'm gonna have a similar answer that I had last week with Remitly that I'm less interested currently. But if we get another couple of quarters in, I want to see how some of the legacy players uh, grow, particularly with MoneyGram, and and uh, just see how this shakes out a little bit more. I, I'm I'm uh, could become more interested at some point, but I'd like to see this see this go on for another couple of quarters as a public company and, and really get more of a sense of how this market's going to shake out. All right, Ryan. And I'll actually add one last thing too, that I meant to say earlier that I think these free cash flow margins were one of my highlights. Um, and I think that those are really impressive, but as we start talking about durable growth and 20 to 30% revenue growth over the next couple of years, that it doesn't happen all the time, but with a lot of these companies, those margins start to come down over time um, because they have to get into other lower margin fields to continue to fuel that growth. And so that's something to watch with WISE as well, that some of these other ancillary services that they start to get into could have lower margin. And so even though they're growing revenue very high, um, it, it might bring down those free cash flow margins. And that still could make for a good investment. But um, I, I just want to see how it shakes out a little bit more over the next couple of quarters. Exactly. That's a good point. However, on the flip side, if they're able to grow while keeping that 25% free cash flow margin, that's the... I don't know. That's the Bull jackpot case. on a company. Yeah. All right, Ryan, uh, what do you have? More interested, 100%. I really, really like the business. I like management. They are very candid. I, I think it might just be a European management thing. I always come away like, wow, you know what? Really like those well, guys. Well, compared from the guys that are coming out of the Valley in Miami and the SPACs, it's not a hard it, uh, it might, <laughs> to compare to. You know? It might be a one-foot hurdle, but yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, more interested. It's going on the watch list for the time being. I want to watch. I'm probably going to read all the uh, quarterly updates between Remitly uh, and Wise. First, you're only going to get two a year for Wise, British company. I kind of like that. Or <laughs> European. Kinda... I think it's all European companies, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, more interested. All right. I am going to be more interested as well. I think Wise, this might sound strange, but Wise reminds me of Costco. Uh, you might laugh at that, but they the way they talk about how all they do is reduce fees, reduce costs, save costs for customers, and then basically earn whatever that same amount and then expand the pool of potential customers. Uh, this is stealing from Nick Sleep, uh, the famous investor that everyone loves to talk about, but it is a classic scaled economy squared, I believe, um, for experts in that type of stuff. Uh, I think you may correct me if I'm wrong there, but I believe it is scaled economy squared if I'm just thinking about what those words mean. And that sets up for a fantastic mode over time where you're not only getting a moat from like, or you're not getting a moat from saying squeezing people on pricing power. You're getting a moat from one, having the low cost option versus the competition that people can't have. And two, making your customers happy, which is why Costco has one of the top moats in the world. I think wise 
on an entirely different business is going after a similar strategy that I think could play out really well. However, like I should say, um, valuation's hard to get around. <laughs> I'm interested, but valuation's hard to get around. It's going on the watch list. All right, that's going to do it for that episode. Uh, stock for next week. It's Your my turn. turn. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to choose Twitter. They had a new CEO come in, so it's going to be fun to reevaluate that business. Changing of the guard. Changing of the guard. No jack at the helm. So I think that was a lot of what was hanging up people. Well uh, done. Well done, Paul Singer. Well, we'll see. It's an <laughs> internal hire. So I don't know. But Jack, congratulations. Getting 2% returns since the IPO. Fantastic. Um, sorry, that was rude. Jack, yeah, that was rude. That, that was rude. But uh, it's true. You should have fired a long time ago. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.